Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Warren Buffett is actually an algo trader in that he has rules that govern each of his investments but his holding time may be into the decades. So he fulfills one of the requirements in that he is rules-based, but he fails in terms of time, but he's still an algo trader. There's no way known you would refer to him as a high-frequency trader. Any rules-based trading over any time frame is algo trading. And this is also known as systematic or rules-based trading. Hi, it's Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. Welcome to the Talking Trading Podcast. The clip we just played was Chris Tate's reply to the Seth Godin Akimbo podcast, where inaccuracies about the market were portrayed. And Chris writes those inaccuracies. Chris defines algorithmic and day trading. He discusses fund managers and the true definition of a zero-sum game. I have to say I love it when Chris does these segments. His 30 years of veteran trading experience are on display and available to everyone. We also hear today professional trader Jason McIntosh on how hope and trading should not mix and how a trader can positively ruin their portfolio if they're not careful. And Louise Bedford today in MindPower. She shares the importance of finding genuine people in your life and the giver, matcher, taker philosophy. It's quite a full show today. Let's start with Louise in Mind Power now. I had a chat on the phone with a long-standing friend, Kristen, and we were talking about how the world has become less connected, less focused on developing relationships, and to the detriment of us all, less kind. We got fixated on a topic and Kristen asked the question, how do we get a system in place to evaluate if someone is actually genuine and not motivated by what's in it for them? Because good people are preyed upon. I think it comes down to a few essential issues. Firstly, as a trader, it is a very solitary process where we're making decisions alone. We're not always jumping into groups because a lot of us are introverts. And we do find that sometimes that group think can interfere with our results. However, being connected counts. Finding people you can be yourself with who get you, it's so important. And a recent study shows that loneliness is as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. So from your own health perspective, it's essential that we find ways to connect with our fellow humans. 
So how can we be sure that we're not going to be taken for a ride? How, when you're kicking off a friendship, can you get that nice even ground to say, well, don't stuff with me and I won't stuff with you, but we'll still care for each other? I think it comes down to setting up a few guardrails. Firstly, I always explain for these interviews on Talking Trading because I'm after long-term collaborations with the people who come on to Talking Trading that there was a Daniel Pink article that talked about you're either a giver, a matcher or a taker. Now we've all met takers in our life. Gosh, we've tried to leave them behind, haven't we? But matchers and givers, that's something that needs a bit more explanation. Now, a matcher is somebody who does give you the equivalent of what you've given them, but it doesn't have to be the exact same thing. My friend Christine, she's fantastic with cooking. Me, eh, not so much. So I wouldn't want to match her by giving her cookies. But heck, I'm happy to give her other things that will hopefully fill up her love bank. And what about a giver? I find I'm hoping to become more of a matcher. I tend to give too much. I tend to expend a lot of energy. I find that I get frustrated if people don't realise how much I've given. And I undergo something that I will term as giver rebellion. That's where the resentment can add up. And all of a sudden you realise that you have given more in that relationship than you've received. Now that imbalance, you can handle it for a while. If you're like me, with some of my friends, I've handled that imbalance for far too long though. And in fact, one of my friends of 20 years, I just realised that I'm the one that always initiates the contact. I always ask for the catch-ups. I'm the one giving and giving. Now, that giving is difficult if you're not getting your energy restored by that person. So with every interview with Talking Trading, I explain this theory. I say to that person who might be on an interview coming to you very soon, I explain that for a long-term relationship, a long-term collaboration to work, we have to both be matches. I explain it up front people know exactly what's happening. So there are no confusing aspects to that relationship. And then we both strive to match. Because I can tell you, if you continually accept people's poor behavior towards you, you will tolerate it and you will get more of what you have accepted in the past. So set up a relationship with that giver, matcher, taker philosophy. Talk about it with your friend. If you're going to undertake an education course, make sure that you've understood whether you're giving matching or taking from the people who you're being educated by. It infiltrates every aspect of your life, including your employment situation. The other thing I'd suggest is to take mini steps. If you have a relationship that is already out of balance, why not try explaining this giver-matcher-taker philosophy? Why not ask a broad general question about do you feel you're a matcher? And if they say yes and you feel that your needs aren't being met, maybe you can open up a conversation about that. 
non-judgmental, focused on getting both of your needs met, a true win-win. Now the other aspect with determining whether people are genuine or not is scaffolding and guardrails. So scaffolding is sometimes I feel we always try to make the big leap when in actual fact it would be much better if we took baby steps. That's the scaffolding I'm talking about, taking baby, baby steps. And guardrails. When are you likely to fall out of safety? What are the deal breakers? What are the things in that new relationship that mean it's over? You need to work out where your guardrails lie. What are your absolute boundaries and then stick with it. So in summary, to evaluate whether somebody is genuine, you need to firstly make this a priority. Think about giving, matching and taking. Look at mini steps to get your relationship back on track and work out when those people are going past that guardrail, over that boundary, so that you know it's a deal breaker. Hopefully with these ideas, you're going to end up living your best life in terms of connectedness because there's no point in becoming that exceptional trader if when you make it, everything around you is scorched earth. Nurture your relationships, take time to build new ones and seek out genuine people so that you can stave off loneliness and so that they'll push you towards living your trader's life. Hi, I'm Janine Alice, founder of Boost Juice Bars and Shark on Shark Tank and I listen to Talking Trading. And now here's professional trader Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader on how hope and trading should not mix. So you tell me as well that hope and trading don't mix well. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that because what I'm sort of picturing here is the type of person that your newsletter is for is somebody who wants more certainty, that they're sick of having that hope and pray outlook with the markets. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about why hope and trading don't mix. It's a really interesting concept, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's a bit like that need to be right and you know, not wanting to be wrong. It's uh, while hope plays uh, plays such an important role in many aspects of our life, like it's important to be optimistic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is, but it just has no place in trading. Mm. It's um, now just just think about it. So, you know, people who survive dangerous situations, I'll often say that you know hope got them through. And you know, you've, so you've got to have that hope to sort of you know keep keep going, and it's that possibility of a good outcome that that keeps them holding on. And uh, and in that sense, hope can be a real lifesaver. But you know, while hope can save your life in those situations, it can you know it can absolutely and positively ruin your portfolio. So you know, people who hope a falling stock will recover, well, they can lose all their capital, and and you know. Yeah, I hear that happen quite a bit, actually, from the emails I get through. You know, people telling me how their, their earlier trading careers have gone. You know, it's another example of, of, of what works in everyday life. Well, it doesn't work when it comes to trading. And, and I think this is a big reason why people find trading so difficult, is that the, the strategies they're using successfully elsewhere, 
they're just not translating in the that trading world and they're getting all these mixed messages and it's um you know it's it's tough mm. Mm. and uh, and this is one of the things i help people with you know it's it's interesting how my motion trader service came about you know i originally began designing a, a pure trading signal service and the aim was to use algorithms to implement implement a, a set of trading rules across the entire market and then i'd send those rules or send the signals out to um to members of the trading service through the you know, entry and exits as they they were triggered but then i thought to myself well look i, I should also send out a, a weekly commentary but you know in the beginning i didn't didn't really know what to write about so i started writing about my own experiences and you know i'd talk about why i'd run profits and i'd explain why you need to give a trade room to move and yeah that that sort of thing and another thing another thing i did was um i used back testing i used my back testing software to give examples for instance, I'd, I'd come up with a classic trading dilemma. For example, like, uh, should you sell half a trade when you've got a good profit? And and, and but rather than speculate uh, which approach was better, you know, just letting the whole thing run or, or selling half, I'd you'd use you back testing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. This is the great thing of back testing. So I'd use the back testing to show which was more profitable. And and what I found was that that people really got a lot out of this. And I started receiving emails telling me that I'd you know, changed the way someone had traded. Mm-hmm. That after you know, years of trying this and that, reading what I'd, through reading what I'd said, um, that these people are now starting to you know, make some money. So it, um, so it, turned, out, it turned out that you know, my trading service, service was helping three types of people. Firstly, you had the, the, the first-timers who wanted a step-by-step trading plan to take them from stock identification to entry to stop loss management and exit and yeah you know, i'm sure you see a lot of these people as well always mm, heaps. Mm. and um and then the second type was um then there were the people who'd, who'd been in the market for years but who had never quite figured out how to consistently make money the feedback was that the the weekly reports you know really helped them them see what they were getting wrong and, and help them turn around their their portfolios and 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 lastly the third type of person which I've found to be attracted to the service has been the people who actually know what they're doing. You know, they've been doing trading well for, for a number of years, but they want the help of an algorithm to find more opportunities. Mm. And, and, and that's something an algorithm can do very well. There's only so many stocks a human can research. That's why so many people only focus on, the say, the ASX 100 or maybe the 200. But there's just so much more going on outside there. You know, there's so much more outside the big names. And you know, not talking microcaps. I'm talking like companies valued at over a hundred million dollars plus that just few people know about. And this is where an algorithm can you know, can really shine. Get Jason's four-part free video series called "The Traders Workshop" by going to motiontrader.com.au forward slash talking trading. That's motiontrader.com.au forward slash Talking trading. And now here's Chris Tate. I've just listened to an episode of Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast. For those who don't know who Godin is, he works in the field of marketing and leadership. And within that space, he is both very prodigious and very, very well known. And the podcast in question is titled Patient Capital. Now, traditionally, I don't comment on podcasts simply because most of the podcasts I listen to 
uh, deal with the field of human performance. As such, they don't deal with the nitty-gritty of trading. So I know there are podcasts and blogs out there that talk endlessly about moving averages and indicators and various bibs and bobs. But I don't see the utility of those to anyone other than the most basic of traders. So as such, these podcasts don't enter into my field of vision. As such, it was only really happenstance that led me to a podcast that actually talked about trading in very naive terms. So if I could select a theme for Godin's podcast, it would be that it is a somewhat of a rallying cry against various forms of capitalism. And his vehicle for taking aim at capitalism is trading itself. I'm the first to admit that capitalism as it is currently practiced is broken. However, in using trading to take aim at capitalism, he's made a few very, very basic naive errors. And so I want to respond to these errors and clear up some of the misconceptions he puts forward. But in doing so, I want to break it into two broad themes. Let's call them definitions and concepts. In terms of definitions, in his podcast, he uses the terms algorithmic trading, high-frequency trading, which is also known as HFT, and day trading. And he mistakes them all for being the same thing. So it's actually worth fleshing out the differences between them. High-frequency trading, as the name implies, simply refers to the use of computers to execute trades in enormous volume at speeds well beyond what a human is capable of. As such, a high-frequency trader might make thousands of traders in a session, but the return on each trade is actually very, very small. High-frequency trading has a, has a few set foundational concepts that set it apart. They use these extraordinarily high-speed networks and computers to process orders. They use the notion of co-location. And for those who are not familiar with it, co-location is simply... Well, it's effectively just placing your dealing system as close to the exchange as humanly possible. So if you can park yourself next door, on top of, or in a van out front, that's good. Because what that does is it kills latency. Latency increases the speed of your transaction processing. And in high-frequency trading, speed is God. High-frequency traders have very, very short time frames for establishing and liquidating positions. And they might actually throw thousands of orders into the market at once and then cancel them. High-frequency traders also end the day flat. That is, they don't carry positions overnight. The thing about high-frequency trading is it's not possible without rules because computers work on rules. And these rules are given the fancy name of algorithms. Uh, they're generally referred to as algos for short. And it's here that Godin makes a fundamental error. And the error is a simple one. All high-frequency traders are algo traders, but not all algo traders are high-frequency traders. To offer a counterpoint, consider this. Warren Buffett is actually an algo trader in that he has rules that govern each of his investments, but his holding time may be into the decades. So he fulfills one of the requirements in that he is rules-based, but he fails in terms of time, but he's still an algo trader. There's no way known you would refer to him as a high-frequency trader. Any rules-based trading over any time frame is algo trading. 
and this is also known as systematic or rules-based trading. Likewise, a day trader may not actually be an algo trader and only share the characteristic of squaring the position at the end of the day with a high-frequency trader. In fact, many day traders I've known are complete Luddites when it comes to rules, so they have no algorithmic approach. Granted, they square off at the end of the day, but their approach to trading is completely discretionary. They are effectively fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants traders. If you were to try and sum it up in a phrase, it is simply have-a-crack trading. Much of what Godin implies regarding the perceived sort of rapaciousness of these forms of trading, or impatient capital as he puts it, is based upon the automatic assumption that these activities serve no function, and that all they do is rip money out of the system. With regard to serving no purpose, high-frequency trading is an intriguing endeavour in that high-frequency traders have now become effectively surrogate market makers, in that, that they provide liquidity and price discovery to the market. Their job is to continually ping the market and find where the most effective price is and where price agreement exists. A market with greater price discovery is a fairer market. It has distortions removed from it. By extension, this leads to a more liquid market, and a liquid market is also a fairer market. The second point is whether such trading activities are actually ripping money out of the system. And the implication here is that these activities are, in some way, shape or form, uh, disadvantaging mum and dad investors. And this is actually quite easy to answer by looking at the total revenue brought in by HFT firms over time. In 2009, they brought in $7.2 billion. By 2016, this dropped to $1.1 billion and has considered to drop four further. The question here is, what is the context of this? If we compare it to, for example, a giant funds management group like BlackRock, BlackRock takes in per year five times as much as the entire HFT industry. So a single fund manager makes more than five times an entire industry group. And as I've said before, if you were to look for an overcompensated and underperforming group, you could look no further than the funds management industry. So a better target would be to take aim at fund managers who consistently underperform the market. But in terms of themes and concepts, it's here that Godin falls down. Because central to his rant is the notion that stock markets are a zero-sum game. A zero-sum game simply implies that if I win, you lose, and vice versa. The notion of zero-sum markets is true for derivatives markets such as options and futures. But it is not true for equities. Let me explain by way of an example. If I buy a stock at a dollar and then sell it at three, and the person who bought it from me at three then sells it at five, there is no loser in that transaction at this point. Zero sum insists that at some point there must be a loss equivalent to the gain, but both of us have won. Granted, there is an opportunity cost. I could have bought it at one and held it till five. 
So I have suffered that foregone profit, but I've not suffered a true capital loss. The intriguing thing about the notion of stock markets not being zero-sum is that this dance of profitability could theoretically go on forever in a stock that continued to rise forever. So at no stage do any of us suffer the loss that is required by zero-zero-sum games. So what is the lesson in all of this? The lesson's actually quite simple. If your expertise is marketing and leadership, if that is your field of purview, if that is what you are known for, then it is best to stick to what you know and not change lanes. There is nothing wrong with having a rant against capitalism. It has many, many, many problems. But you actually need to choose the weapon you use to attack it with. Otherwise, the entire issue begins to fall down. The second point of this lesson is really quite simple. If you don't know anything about markets, at least get someone who does know something about markets to proofread your material. I hope you enjoyed the assortment of segments on today's show. Stay tuned next week on Talking Trading to hear financial planner Mr. Matt Morrison from the accounting firm The Practice and his new book, Freedom, Lifestyle and Legacy. I'm Caroline Stephen. Happy trading. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week... Happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.